there were uh, many mornings where I would just cry in the shower before work. It would, it was brutal that uh, the position I got put into. However, looking back at it now, I would never take it away. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Gratitude Spark podcast, a show about the stories behind real people in the real world and how they're using the practice of gratitude to spark incredible change. On today's episode, we'll talk with Alex Golombievsky. I met Alex back in 2019 when I was looking for my next adventure. The key for me at the time was to find an organization that had a culture that really aligned with my values. I found that at a company called Market Vision, where Alex happened to be the CEO. Since then, Alex has become not only a boss and a mentor of mine, but more importantly, a friend of mine. Alex has been an entrepreneur for his entire life, and with that has come some definite highs, but also some deep, deep lows. He'll share with us how gratitude has weaved its way into his life, from his early days growing up in some very challenging situations and his family's immigration to the U.S., to his family life, and to his entrepreneurial ventures. For Alex, it started in Ukraine during the turbulent times of the mid-1980s. I was born in um, Ukraine. Okay. My other siblings were born in, I'm second oldest of seven. So I have an older brother, which you, you well know, Sergey. Well. He's, yeah. he's, he's a special guy. And um, I have... Uh, so I have three brothers and three sisters. Okay. Uh, one of seven. And I was born in Ukraine. Our other, like we basically came in a four pack. Uh, my older brother, myself, my younger sister, and my other younger brother. And we came in a four pack. And uh, we moved from Ukraine back in like 1989. I was four years old. Okay. When you moved to the U.S. And where, so, did, where did you move in the, into the U.S.? So like we, we were effectively political refugees. It was a pretty rough uh, deal. We got sponsored by a church. And then we got... Wow. Um, like green cards to get uh, sent over here. It was pretty rough in the Soviet Union at the time because this is all pre-Soviet Union fall. Sure. And my parents, uh, like, we think that we get persecuted when our cable doesn't work or internet goes down. But like my my grandfather was a pastor and, oh no, I'm sorry, my, my father's grandfather was a pastor. Okay. Uh, my grandfather was also a pastor, but my father's, my great-grandfather, he, uh, at the, like the height of the the... Uh, Stalin's kind of reign. Mm -hmm. uh, he basically was a local community leader and they knocked on his door in the middle of the night and he said, Oh, hang on a second. Let me go get my shoes. And they said, you won't need them. And you know, that's the, basically the message of, yeah, you're not coming back. And he never did. Oh so my like, God. They lived through, my family went through a lot of like, we were super rural bumpkins effectively. My, my family comes from like Russian redneck side of things. Um, and so we grew up in a lot of poverty. My parents decided, in fact, that is such a crazy story to me. When I asked my parents as an adult, they had this desire to get out of USSR okay. because of the amount of oppression. Their national religion was nationalism, right? Sure. Um, and sure. they, they condemned anything else. And so my parents were looking at um, Australia, Canada, or the United States. Mm -hmm. And at the time, all of my, my, my father's uh, friends, community, people around him, because of the Cold War propaganda, which is, I think was at its height in 89, uh, they were told that if we go to the United States, we will be lined up against the wall and shot as spies and traitors. Wow. That was the rhetoric wow. way back then. Wild, pre-internet, pre-everything else. Sure, uh, sure. But despite that, like with a lot of faith, my, my father was the first of his and my mom's side of the family to decide to, you know what, we're going to make the move. We need to do something. Otherwise, it's not going to be here. And I think he had enough hope and enough, um, like he had, he, we didn't know anybody here, but I guess through a church and through the opportunity to come over here, we got sponsored as a family, moved over here to Massachusetts and then um, bounced around a little bit in the U.S. Yeah, wow. and, and when we when we moved over here, we didn't know the language. We were like, we have the crazy uh, immigrant story: um, two non-English speaking parents, four children. We were all five or under. Five or under. 
four children, two suitcases, 50 American dollars. One of those suitcases was filled with pillows and blankets. Like literally that's how we got to the U S yeah, and like, if you read about it, I mean, and, and you literally look around to the place that, you know, this is amazing. Everything that we have is just incredible. It's, it's a lot to be grateful for. Yeah. I was just gonna, I was gonna ask you. So back in the days when, I mean, you were only four, so you may not remember a lot of it, but, uh, perhaps through stories and whatnot. It sounds like a tough life uh, that, that, you know, as you were very young and your, your parents <clears throat> were living at the time, how was it that you guys were able to find things in that kind of environment that you were grateful for? That's an awesome question. So like this launches a bit into my last couple months of a journey Sure. For, for my own life. Um, so I'll answer it more directly uh, first. And that is like, when we moved here, we were on um, welfare. We did, we were on food stamps, stamps until uh, 90. No, I think we were like until 2001. I think we were on food stamps for um, a pretty fair amount of time. And it was a lot of my parents that they had this unshakable like faith where they despite what is around you and despite um, how everything feels like it, there's this understanding that this is not every, nothing is guaranteed for you. So anything that you have is just a huge positive for it. And so it's funny. It sounds like a really bad childhood because we, I remember very visceral moments in life where I was reminded of just, you know, how poor we were or that we weren't from this country. Um, but those were, the far and wide exception and they weren't anchor points in my life to you know compared to all the gratitude and the amount of like my my parents instilling this sense of look you have a responsibility no one's going to give you anything you have to go out and you have to do it in a great way take care of people because people is the only thing they have left and they really lived it um, when my father came over with uh, our family he started helping our other siblings come over as well mm -hmm. Um, our other siblings or his, uh, my parents' siblings as well. Okay. So okay. little by little, we had more and more people coming over here and he effectively kind of corralled, herded all these cats into like one area. We ended up living in Missouri. Uh, we moved there in 1999. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was pretty wild because we moved there. Our, I had three other families that were my mom's siblings moved there. And we all lived within like a few, we bought plots of land next to each other. And they literally lived oh. almost in a commune and everybody got together for tea and dinner multiple times a week. It blew me away. And, and I don't think I appreciated it then. Sure. But as an adult, I look at that and I am just blown away by just the amount of tensionality that they push towards having that sense of community yeah so that's, that's one thing that i've i've started to pay more attention to is you know in the moment it's really hard to see and appreciate what you have but it's, it's not until you get past it and you can kind of look back and i mean for you perhaps it was the opportunity to, to you just mentioned the intentionality of bringing together family and really putting a focus on that 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 your parents had and those things that they probably didn't talk about it. They didn't tell you what they were doing. You know, it was just an opportunity for you to, uh, to notice and to observe and to take part in, you know, that, that collective family goodness that they were bringing together. They, they lived a lot of, I like, I love stoicism. Stoicism is a pretty, uh, it's a word that gets thrown around a lot of like being stoic and unfeeling or, you know, non-emotional, but that isn't what that means at all. Being stoic for me means like, irrespective of your external, like you are centered. And when other people panic, you're good. When other people are super joyful, you know, uh, then you're still good. And you have this different anchor. Um, and a lot of stoicism is rooted in, listen, uh, you don't have tomorrow. Your children don't have tomorrow. And though it could be dark or macabre to kind of dwell on life and death of your own children sure. the reality is as a father you will consider every day way more precious if you don't presume that they're going to be there tomorrow right and the tragedy is if you just presume they're going to be there tomorrow you know there's a chance that you squander a lot of time with somebody yeah i think it's a big mindset there was i don't remember who it was but he was talking about gratitude and how to really cultivate a mindset of of gratitude and be grateful for uh, things in your life. And he said one of his strategies and one of the things that he coaches people on is to imagine your death. 
you know, and those mm-hmm. things that you have right in the moment that you can't take for granted. I mean, just based on what you just said, tied into that, you know, with your kids, all of those opportunities to see the goodness that they're experiencing, you never know. I mean, it's it's kind of cliche, but you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. So, yeah, I, I get that, that kind of definition of stoic. It is a... Uh, daily, you know, it's not a mindset or even a philosophy. It's kind of this daily decision to say, you know what, I, I need to focus here and I need to uh, look here. There was, this is a long journey for, for me. I had a friend of mine um, in Tuna Yukuri, one of the wisest men I, I've ever met, I had the blessing of meeting. And he challenged me at one point to go a week without complaining. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, fine. <laughs> Yeah, I lasted like 45 seconds. Yeah. And then I start over and he he drove the point home very quickly that like, it isn't a matter of just not complaining, or just be positive. It's this, uh, you dwell on and make these decisions and you start making it a practice. And that is what allows you to start looking at things with a lot more gratitude. Totally. Totally. Um, and and listen, and, and you could say, you're kind of brainwashing yourself, but if that is the case, so what? You are you end up being happy. <laughs> you end up focusing on the right things. It's great. Yeah, I'd sign up for that. I mean, there's something definitely to uh, to that point. You know, it takes a while to build up a habit, and whether that habit is working out in the morning or eating healthier, it, it takes work, and it takes a person uh, being very intentional about those behaviors. I think that's an awesome exercise. You know, trying not to complain for a period of time super hard I'm i would certain. challenge you i still try once in a while <laughs> i'm blown away by how fast i i fall off that wagon yeah yeah it's but the the cool part is is when you're doing that you're being very um you're very aware of where you're at you know mentally and what your thought process is so i think just that focus on on that definitely helps doesn't mean you're going to succeed but it definitely helps you cultivate that mindset of seeing the positive in things. Yeah. And I feel like as long as you do a tiny bit better, you know, tomorrow than you did today, like that's all you can. It doesn't happen overnight, nor do you, anybody that you see that's like incredibly wise. Some of the gray hairs that I've I've had mentor me in my life that I am so thankful for. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of wisdom because they've gone through a lot of things and they've had to learn and, and it's easy to kind of want to skip steps and want what they have but the reality is it takes like this kind of daily decision and practice oh absolutely yeah if everything could just could just happen wouldn't that be great but our microwave generation yeah if but if that's the case then i don't know if if there is that level of appreciation or the opportunity to kind of build that into the way in which you live your life yeah i think you start understanding things uh, more deeply when you you first start out just focusing on the tips and tricks of whatever philosophy you're picking yeah. up. I did Stoicism, yeah. I did you know Christianity, and I started picking up these little tidbits without, I don't think, fully understanding the, the deep why behind it. Mm. But the more you start doing it, the more you start recognizing it. Um, but once you center, and I fully believe this, it has to stem from a, a centering inside and that becomes your outpouring. So instead of like focusing on just behaviors of, you know, the complaining thing was a great practice for me to be aware and awareness is the first step of any kind of change. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you're doomed never to change, but that was the first piece of it. But until I started truly feeling like, um, like I've struggled a lot with insomnia last night was a really rough night. Mm-hmm. However, waking up in the morning, I don't, dwell on the rough night i dwell on the sleep that i did get and i'm very thankful for that and that for me sleep or no sleep be damned like it changes my perspective on on you know my day yeah i think that's so important just that that refocus on not what went bad but what are the opportunities for the good you know i'm gonna i'm gonna approach this day with positivity i think you're far more likely to be successful with that Mm -hmm. mindset you know, there's another thing that uh, I'm going to talk about that's really close to home. Like my time at Market Vision, mm-hmm. um, that was a harrowing two years for me. I, I jumped in to a, a ridiculously difficult situation. And for two years, I, I put so much fight into it and so much focus into it. And, and like I mentioned in the beginning, like I, I set 
I put off building community. I put off, Mm -hmm. you know, healthy habits. I put off so many things to focus on that. And it was incredibly difficult. And instead of like, it it was a book that I read called uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor E. Frankl. Franklin, Um, Forgive me. Have you ever heard of that book? I haven't. It Which is, doesn't surprise me, given the fact that you can rip off books like no, nobody's business. So, <laughs> this is the one that you should put on your reading list. It is it'll break you in the best way. It is a, a clinical psychologist that went to Auschwitz and weathered wow. the most brutal conditions known to man, and and he um, saw people truly give up and die inside, and then were just like walking dead for hmm. it. But then you had these rare more rare individuals that despite be you know it's having everything taken away from them despite uh, the worst of circumstances and he goes into this much into the book mm. but he basically says like many books have been written about like the atrocities sure. go read those if you want and he just focused on what is the difference between somebody who is the one in 28 that made it through and the ones who gave up and it was fascinating because he said uh, meaning meaning behind your life is what he distilled down to the major difference between the two. And he said, meaning behind suffering was just as important as anything else. And so in my market vision, two years, I won't say I suffered. And now that I use that example, now I'm scared because that is a horrible thing to juxtapose to my experience in the last two years. It it is not not a comparison. But uh, I I went through a lot of stuff and I had a really, a couple, a lot of dark moments in that time. Sure, sure. But now I, I firmly look back and see so much meaning behind that and mm. the ability for me to, one, reprioritize my life towards real relationships and family over work and um, even making me a better father or a better leader and the next thing, that, that perspective shift makes me grateful for yeah. every bit of difficulty, every bit of suffering, every bit of, you know, the there were this is me oversharing, but you know how transparent I am. There were uh, many mornings where I would just cry in the shower before work. Mm-hmm. It would, it was brutal that uh, the position I got put into. However, looking back at it now, I would never take it away. I read a quote somewhere that said, it was about, you know, challenges that you go through and struggles that you have. They're really there for a purpose and they're there to give you a different mindset to give you an opportunity to become stronger and to grow. They're there for a reason. You're kind of a walking study uh, or a walking case of leveraging those opportunities and being able to find that that mindset, that opportunity was there to present yeah, in the first place. I think we're, we're wired to need that. We're wired with that deep need for it. And I, I, let me illustrate it with one of the illustrations in uh, Man's Search for Meeting the Book. This one, I, I actually was reading this at like, 4.30 in the morning before everybody was up. And by the time Mariana got up at like 6, 6.30, uh, I said, sit down, get some coffee. And she hadn't even taken a sip. And I was like, um, you're going to die before I do. And she's like, whoa, you're going to kill me? <laughs> no, good, morning, I said, no good, morning to, good morning to you too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Intense Alex. That's how Alex comes out of the gate. Good morning. You're going to die before I do. But I had read this illustration uh, that was true in the book and it broke me also in the best way. It was this uh, man that was 70 years old. Um, and forgive me, the, the dates may change, but the meaning sure, is still sure. the same. But 70 years old, he, he was married for like some 50 odd years to the love of his life. And she passed two years ago. And so this was in the 60s after uh, Dr. Franklin had, you know, uh, left and was saved and then reassimilated. It took mm. him years to reassimilate. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, he was a clinical psychiatrist. Um and he he's practicing something called logotherapy, which is basically meaning behind your life. And he really feels like that centering mm-hmm. solves so much depression, anxiety, everything else. And and this man came in, married for 50 years, wife passed two years ago, as you can imagine, debilitating depression. Sure, sure. No will to live. It, it would be awful. And he was thinking to himself, what could I possibly tell this guy? That would help. Like, I can't say don't 
don't miss your wife. Right. Like, I can't say like, uh, cheer up. There's other, like, there's, there's this void that you could never replace. And, and reflecting back on his experiences, he started with a line of questioning that was, um, uh, non-intuitive I'd say. And he started saying, well, tell me about your wife. And he described all the, the cherished moments. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, did you guys love each other? Oh, we, we, there's nobody who loved each other more than my wife and I, right? Um, and he said, what would have happened if you had died first? And he said, oh, well, I don't, she'd be devastated. I'd, it would be awful. I couldn't even imagine like what that would be like. And he said, well, that's the gift that you gave your wife. The unfortunate cost of that gift is your suffering. Mm-hmm. And he got real quiet and then he stood up and he shook the doctor's hand and left. And what had happened there <laughs> was that he finally put meaning behind what he was going through. And it is just an orientation right. um, and perspective, but the same amount of suffering, the same loss, the same everything else, all of a sudden was a, a badge of honor and pride. And he recognized that he is, he had spared his wife that suffering himself. Hmm. Yeah, that's the word empathy popped into my mind when you were talking about it. I mean, having the opportunity to put his, put himself in the shoes of his wife had the situation been reversed. Perhaps that was the, the eye opener, you know, for him to be able to better understand the meaning behind what he was experiencing. And I'd like Uh, to say that at the end of that visit, he was probably grateful for his suffering. Yeah. Yeah. Daily. Absolutely. Hey, you mentioned market vision. And one of the things that, you know, I know from our discussions is the entrepreneurial mindset has been something that has been with you pretty much from the start is my guess. (laughs) And, you know, that entrepreneurial journey has its ups and downs. And I'm certain that you've experienced all of those. I'm just wondering how over the course of that journey, you were able to deal with situations like that. And what were some of the techniques and strategies you used to deal with them in the moment and overcome them in, in the long run? Yeah, I wish I had a, a better answer, but I don't think I did deal with it overly well in the moment. I, I think the real answer behind that, if there was a silver bullet or, or you know, something that got me through it is my family and my wife specifically. Hmm. We've always had a very like excruciatingly transparent relationship. Um, it did get to the point where I, I could tell me talking about my work and the, the stuff that was dealing really took her out. Um, and so I, I became a little bit more guarded, but it got to a breaking point where I had to like level with my wife and start talking her through um, sure, a lot sure. of the things I was going through. I would have n- never been able to get through all of that. I, I say that not with any hyperbole at all. I think that was instrumental and so the mm-hmm. distillation of, of what, you know, a, a clean answer here is you can't do it yourself. There's 0% chance you can do it yourself, even across all my entrepreneurial journey. And I've, I've failed two companies. I lost the best friend and co-founder that um, our relationship that still grieves me to this day that it just got ruined. And my father passed throughout all of that. My grandfather, I had health problems and all these different things that happened sure. and, and, I think the first five years of that, I dealt with it myself. And what that means is I didn't deal with it. I stuffed and it got to a really bad point until I finally had to cry out and like ask for help. And that, that is when I think I started realigning and getting recentered to the things that were important. It's interesting. I've, listen to a lot of podcasts, read books about entrepreneurs and their journeys. And that's not atypical to go through situations that in the moment seem insurmountable to overcome. And so many times it is just the act of reaching out and asking for help and le- leaning on someone else that allows you to get past that moment. But then when you are past it, that gives you again, that opportunity to kind of look back on it, maybe find the meaning behind that that particular episode that we were talking about before and you know without that that person to lean on or without that support system it's tough you know it's it's almost impossible to get through certain Uh, types of things and i don't think that's unique to entrepreneurship i think we do a very 
bad job as humans of having true and accurate reference points. Because what we do is we kind of compare our trash and garbage and failures to everybody else's highlight reels on social media or what you see on TV. There was this really awesome commercial. I don't even know what it was for, but it struck me so hard. This is like eight years ago. And it was this guy on this John Deere mower and it, he has this huge three-story house behind him and this huge thing and a pool and he's driving around and I think he's like explaining everything that he has. Mm-hmm. And he's like, um, I have this and I have this. My kids go to private school and do this. And, and how do I do all this? And he's smiling, driving all this. He's like, I'm in, I'm up to debt. I'm up to my eyeballs in debt and I have crushing anxiety and I have no clue what I'm going to do. And he's just driving around. And it struck me because I was like, that is what we do. We look at that and be like, man, that guy's so lucky. Yeah, yeah. And without ever <laughs> recognizing. So without genuine reference points and, and the more helpful, more descriptive parts is like very candid, transparent, and like mm-hmm. accountable relationships. Right. Uh, I, I think we create a lot of neurosis for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And I'm just picturing, I haven't seen that commercial, but I'm just picturing the guy on the lawnmower. He's saying all that stuff with a big smile on his face too, yep. you know? everything's good. Everything's fine. You know, we have all of this, this, this beautiful materialistic stuff <laughs> but yeah. yet, but beneath that smile is, is our challenge life of quiet desperation oftentimes. Yeah. So like yeah. the first part of like gratitude for me is starting to recognize that I, I actually do not envy. And this has been um, a recent thing I'd say, right. I don't envy very many people at all. The people I envy is not because of uh, they have anything that, that I don't have. It's more of like the character qualities that I want to, uh, I want to obtain the envy who, dies. Who are, some of those, who are some of those people, Alex? You know, I have a friend named Don in um, Luther, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. small, small place. He is like the salt of the earth. And that guy has also, he, he's incredibly uh, sharp. He's incredibly hardworking. Um, the dude has had an amazing career However, the reason why I, I envy is in the range of envy for me in him sure. is that he is incredibly, incredibly centered. He does not let things sway him. And he's also done a lot of intentionality to build his life intentionally around the things that he feels is important. And I think for the mm-hmm. longest time in my life, um, I both wanted that, but wasn't willing to... Um, I guess, to give up on some of the other things. It wasn't a trade I was willing to make at the time. But now I recognize like just how much wisdom there is in that. Otherwise, you're chasing temporary crowns. The the people on your deathbed are going to be the ones next to you, not not your medals, not your diplomas. So how how have you gotten to that point, that mindset of realizing that, at least for you, that's what's important? I mean, are are there steps or what has the process been for you in that journey? Yeah, my maybe this part may be atypical. I, I had the I've had this drive to become successful, whatever that meant, since I was mm-hmm. a very poor immigrant kid. And that very likely was instilled with me, you know, in, in me very early on. Um, do you think do you think it was because of that? Or that played a significant role, just the fact that you grew up in poverty and Yeah, I think so. But it, it was it, it, my um, a friend of mine, Sherry Walden, she wrote a really good book called The Entrepreneur's Guide to Keeping Your Shit Together. Hmm. It is amazing, actually. And in there, she says that like a lot of like the most ideal situation for for like cultivating an entrepreneur is high adversity and high support. And, and that's very important because if you just have high adversity, you can get beaten right. down, especially as a child, because you don't have these reference points and you start internalizing lessons that aren't life isn't trying to teach you. Right. I'm not good enough or I'm filling whatever blanks you have. Sure. sure. Uh, if you have high support and no adversity, we see that all the time. Right. Where they're 35 years old living with their parents still. And there's sorry, that sounded really judgmental. But like if that is a part of your you're doing that intentionally. Great. But if it is because like that is a um, where you find yourself and not where you're trying to put yourself, that is because I, I feel like they haven't learned to use the muscle of doing hard work and getting through hard things. But if you have high adversity and high support, what you end up building is an overcomer because they have 
lots and lots of practice of dealing with very difficult situation. And then they mm-hmm. develop a, not necessarily a habit, but they develop an expectation that, you know what, I, I feel like, cause I've gone through this and I've always overcome, I'll be able to get through this one way or the other. So my upbringing, um, I feel like was that it was the high adversity, but my family was the high support. I was the best case scenario for it. I would never change anything about my upbringing. All of the crazy things that wow. I've oh, been through. Awesome. Yeah. And, and from an entrepreneur standpoint of how, how I got to refocus or just life standpoint, I've been very fortunate and unfortunate. It, it broke me really in the last couple of months that I chased after my dreams and largely attained a lot of what I had wanted mm-hmm. to do. And when I mm-hmm. got there, it rang very hollow, Mike. It wow. got very hollow and I fell into a very deep depression, which led me to man's search for meeting, uh, the purpose-driven life, doing a lot of my own kind of scripture reading. Sure. And I had to find out like what happened. I actually took an entrepreneur out for lunch that had what I had, what I wanted. He, he said he worked two days a week. His family is incredible and beautiful he has all the time. He volunteers. And I took him out. I was like, is this all fake or, or is it real? And he said, well, I don't really work two days a week. I work about six hours a week and here's how I did that. And here's whatever. And he coached me through a little bit, but his driving point, Alex, uh, he told me, he's like, Alex, you, you lost your, your way. You're not sick, dude. You're not depressed. You, you don't have anything you're fighting for right now. And I, I feel like he was super right. I ended up chasing my temporary crown of success of of title of a lot sure. of things and when i got that um well got there i won't say got that got there sure it, it rang very hollow and it was it's, really tough it's always like you know the proverbial carrot it's it's just ahead of you and sometimes you get the carrot and you think it's not that great what's the next thing there's always a next thing and i think it, that conversation you had with with your friend over lunch is I mean, that it's potentially like a flag that you can put down on the ground and say, this is where perhaps there was a little bit of a mindset shift for you. Mm-hmm. It was. Showing you that, you know what, when you get, there is no there. You have to create where you're there is and appreciate what you have in the moment. And maybe that I is you there. I got, uh, so I was envious there, what, after market vision and, and the crescendo of how all that ended up going down, I ended up, having tons of free time. Did I have the rush to go to do something else? Then I hated it. And it isn't because I'm just a busybody. I hated it because I felt like I was just lost. And I looked at my friends who were still battling in their own startups and their own companies and their sure. own marriages. And I felt envious of them being in, in warfare. It was wild. So for me, yeah. I actually had to stop and really dig down and start to try to understand like what the heck am I even here for I hadn't answered that question I don't think I think I kicked that off for 35 years you have mentioned you've mentioned gratitude a few times in this conversation I'm curious how has gratitude kind of weaved its way into your entrepreneurial journey Mm -hmm. yeah I'm a late bloomer on that side I I think (laughs) because I went um, super hard charging the first time and got really burnt out. And actually, it, it ended up being when my father passed that I was super taken out. And I still had to balance my business. You see, you mentioned the first time. Is this like your, the first business that you... Yeah, that you so like we had, we had a, a company called Job Pact. And okay. that was a, a kind of... It's basically e-harmony for jobs we kind of were trying to do job matching personality with company and everything and and cool idea long shot we didn't understand what we were doing and i took everything onto my shoulders and there was no gratitude there i was just striving pushing you know ambition uh second company we were about halfway through and then my father passed and it really obviously like devastated me yeah and it was almost a matter of necessity that I faded back and then let my team, my, my co-founders step in, intervene and take it. And my worst case scenario didn't materialize. The company did not shut down. The work was, doesn't mean it was rosy, but I was blown away just by how much people stepped up. And that was the, the, uh, the seed, the germination behind gratitude for me because I started recognizing, well, shoot, 
these people have been here this entire time and I've never asked them for this help and I've needed it. Um, and I started really cultivating this, uh, this understanding that instead of focusing on what I want and goal oriented, um, if I, if I just recognize that I I'm doing the right things with the right people in the right direction, like that will take care of itself. And you start taking the focus off of what you don't have and more of what you do have. That was the, the, the pivot towards, okay, it doesn't mean that this is going to work out. And that second company didn't work out Mm -hmm. two to four, uh, but the lessons learned there. And again, the the tragedy and and trials from that were instrumental for my third company taking off very quickly and then getting acquired. And you can't begrudge the lessons because that's, that's how you grow. It's interesting. I wrote an article recently and it was about, I don't know if you remember when you were a kid, but those connect the dots pages where you just have a page and has the numbers all over the place. And you just, your goal is to connect the dots and you end up with this awesome picture. But when you're connecting it or at the start, you don't know what this thing is going to, what you're going to have at the end. And it's not until you get past, you know, a certain point in that exercise that you can kind of start to see what this picture is. And maybe those those two opportunities or those two companies that you started were just dots along that journey of yours that had all those lessons as opportunities for you to learn. But it wasn't until you got past them that you were able to leverage those things that you learned and the, the experiences that you had. I love that illustration. That's so good. I'm going to have to use that because I wholeheartedly agree. But I also think that I'm looking back at a partially complete picture and my dots have not been connected until mm-hmm. far, far later in life. There is this really kind of profound thought in a different book by Simon Sinek called The Infinite Game. Very good book. It's more business focused, but he had this very profound thought where he basically said like business, but I'm going to kind of liken it to life. Mm -hmm. Life is not a game in the way that we generally understand games. Games are, you understand what the rules are. You understand how to win or how to keep score. You understand who the players are. Um, But that isn't life. Uh, There are no rules in this life. Sure. Uh, you don't know who the players are. You're meeting them and bouncing into them through all of it. You don't even know how to keep score. People use money as that, but that isn't, you know, we all know intellectually and sometimes intuitively that that's not the right way to do it. Right. And the profound part that he said is if you just take life and treat it like a game and say, cool, if I stop today, am I winning or losing? And you look at it and you're going to compare it to somebody else's snapshot in time. And that again, this is not a complete game. Uh, but you're compared to somebody else's snapshot, you could feel like you're losing or you're behind. Right. But it's right. the infinite game, meaning it's never going to stop. It goes to the very end. So if that is the case, those connecting the dots, mm-hmm. you recognize that you have lots of dots to still connect. And if you take a single snapshot in time, again, uh, that's your recipe for neurosis. Right, exactly. Yeah, that that image that you're creating along that path doesn't look like anything. In fact, it looks like a, a big mess <laughs> until until you are able to connect all of the dots in the picture and, and look back and take that step and, and really see what it is that you've created. And that's that was my point in, in that article. It was life is exactly like that. Your journey in life is one of moments in time and, and connections with people and experiences that you have in those moments. They may not feel like anything. They may not feel like they mean anything, but you get six dots down the road, that introduction you had or that conversation you had with someone, that may be the thing that turns you down a new path. And, you know, based on back to your conversation about the second company and that support system that you had that really kind of stepped up and you were able to say, okay, we can do this, you know, and you found that level of gratefulness for for that team to help you get through some of the things you were struggling with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, that that same feeling I've carried with me working with every single team. And I think you saw that at market vision a little bit, which sure, is absolutely you there's, there's a, this is going to get a little over scientific. There's a concept called the Pygmalion effect. Have you ever heard of it? I have. Yeah. Love, love that in a nutshell, the Pygmalion effect is your expectations for somebody um, will make it more likely to make it a reality because it is a um, cyclical cycle. My expectations over my son, my daughter, my wife, if it's positive, I'm holding him up to like, you are great. When my son makes a mistake, I don't say you're a bad kid. I say, hey, you're a great kid who made a mistake. And by setting that up and giving him uh, an expectation that I believe in them, they will in response 
act more like whatever attributes I espouse over them. Mm -hmm. uh, me seeing that will reinforce my belief of them being whatever attributes I'm espousing of them um, and repeat the cycle. So I feel like gratitude is a competitive advantage for sure. Um, you have books like Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill that the entire book is about getting your mindset right because he feels like the universe will conspire to your success if you get your mindset right. And I feel like, yes, that's true, but it's actually that, that foundation that you build that ends up being the wellspring of your words, your actions, totally. where you spend your time, that ends up, that is the universe conspiring to Absolutely. And it is, it is so true. I've been more intentional in my practice of gratitude over the last couple of years. And it is a real thing when your mind is focused on those things and you, you notice things, you notice the details just of an interaction or you notice um, the sunrise, maybe those things that, that before in your busy life, you just kind of blast through, you don't really pick up on. The more you focus on that, the more intentional you are to see those things the more goodness that comes into your life. Yeah, as wild as it is, that's what that floored um, Dr. Franklin uh, with the man's search for meaning. He was in a concentration camp and yeah. many, he went, he went from a couple different ones and he was talking to a lady, um, I think she was dying of typhus. And she started talking about being grateful for being able to see through this little slit in this super, super cold, hut and she could see a couple buds of a blossoming tree and for her that was gorgeous and it was beautiful and he recognized watching her die of typhus in a concentration camp and she died with a smile on her face and she died with like gratitude and he blew him away how you could take everything away from somebody except for their center except for yeah. that whatever they they rest on wow that's that's a powerful story right there yeah it's sorry a little dark but amazing again as dark as it is that mindset if you dwell on it it you appreciate a lot oh absolutely so with that mindset kind of back to the entrepreneurial journey how how has it how has it played a role in maybe how you think about things differently as you look at your next opportunity or, um, you know, the strategies that you build when thinking about building another business, if that's on the horizon for you, how does that, yeah. that yeah, mindset of gratitude play its role in actions that you'll take? I, I love that question. Um, I am now wholly focused on uh, the, the mission of what the product or service that we're selling, I think is, is, is important, right? You, you, I don't want to make weapons for somebody, right? But uh, past that, I feel like what really drives me is I want to create a space in a place where I love coming to work, that people love coming to work, that we do the best works of our, our careers. And this is, you're going to see all this in the core value stuff that we, we talk so much about. Mm -hmm. I, I was so thankful despite crazy external forces. Uh, the, the last company that, you know, we were all part of, I loved the team. I loved the group. I felt so much backing that despite many times where I felt like my back was pressed against the wall, my team was just incredible. I could not ask for it. And I was so grateful for it. And I recognized a couple of things, I guess, throughout that transition. I think they were just as grateful uh, for, for me, for the culture. Oh, yeah. And it was Everybody was grateful for this space because we were all with, with imperfect people, with miscommunications. We all had this deep trust and, and respect for one another. And we all communicated what our single kind of focus was. That, that is my, I'm now hooked on that. I'm going to create environments that are holy um, places where people love to go and by the way that they love to go home and have time to go spend time with their family they're right. a dynamic yeah. multi-faceted person it's insane some of the research that's been done on mm -hmm. the the power of gratitude and the power of appreciation in the the workplace i'm sure you've heard of the five languages appreciation. of appreciation in the workplace yeah mm -hmm. and one of the things that they mentioned in there is of all the people that leave a job i think it's something like 87 percent of the people it is leave exactly that job. 87 uh, leave the job because they don't feel appreciated. It doesn't have anything to do about how much money they make or what their title is. It's about a level of appreciation. And at Market Vision, 
I think that was one of the key elements of our culture is we appreciated one another. And it wasn't just coming from the top down. It was everybody as a collective. So I cannot emphasize enough how important that is for really effective cultures. Yeah. And, and it's, you have more latitude and autonomy to do that as an entrepreneur and somebody who's doing their own. But I would say that I learned some of those lessons from um, uh, one of my favorite people in the world, Tamitha Smith, one of my um, managers at uh, in Oklahoma. I okay. was 24, 23, 22, maybe when I worked with her, she's incredible. And one of the things that um, she imparted on me is like, hey, this team that you're going to be plugged into has a lot of personalities and a lot of dysfunction for it too. She's like, I want you to never lose this center. So just keep doing you. And it was wild because uh, it was with the blessing of somebody who helped manage the department for it. Mm-hmm. But over time, as a 22 to 25 year old, the three years I, I spent there, we created an amazing team full of gratitude, full of respect, deep trust. And I think that's something that is contagious. I think it's something that people yearn for, but may not have the words for. And I think you can take that with you to the team you currently work at now. Nobody wants to be the first domino. The first domino is the hardest one. It takes the most pressure. After that, I think uh, your heart's in the right place. Things fall in line. And it doesn't have to be this organization-wide initiative. I mean, you can take a, a small team of three or four people and start leveraging some practices of gratitude or recognition and appreciation, even within your small team. You know, the beauty of gratitude is it has this huge ripple effect. You know, people feel good from it. It brings it brings acknowledgement and, um, you know, a feeling of warmth and caring to people when they receive appreciation. Mm-hmm. That changes their whole mindset. There's definite power in in gratitude in the workplace. Yeah, you got to have a, a little bit of like hubris, I suppose. But also, it's one of those things that um, I don't, I, I think you have to weather through the people being jaded or people being very totally. defensive. Yeah. But yeah. it's there for sure. Absolutely. So we've had a really good conversation. And I'm just curious, what would you like our listeners to take away from your story? You know, what are the the points that you want to emphasize in terms of how gratitude has played a role in your life through where you started, you know, when you were a child, through your entrepreneurial journey into where you are now? I love that question. And I would say I looked at a lot of people and a lot of models and wanted to model myself after them. And, and there's a lot of, you know, benefit to that, but there's a pitfall. And that is you have very unique strengths. You have very unique you know, philosophies and, and skills that other people don't. And it is too tempting um, to look at others and say, great, then I'll just do what they did. Or I couldn't possibly do because I had a different upbringing or mm-hmm. I wish I had more adversity in my life. I, I got a very, here's the reality. There, there should be zero apologies for everything you've gone through. Cause I feel like everybody has gone through and is now uniquely shaped to do something specific. Nobody can replace me as my father to my children. And I'm building a legacy uh, that that way, right? That's a significant piece. So I would say, despite hearing a lot of, you know, on this podcast, probably a lot of great people coming in talking about their lives, (laughs) recognize that they are parallels, but they're not steps for you to follow. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah. Apparently you don't have to be wise or old to be wise. So thanks for, uh, thanks for imparting that <laughs> I'm, wisdom. I'm working on the wisdom part. <laughs> All right. So we're going to end it with some, some fun stuff. We're calling it the fast five. Okay. And these oh, are like basically it. five questions. Got to give immediate answers. No thinking, just answer. Okay. All right. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. That's good. All right. <laughs> What's your favorite quote? Uh, what a man learns by dragging a cat by his tail. He can learn no other way by Mark Twain. Love it. What book is on your nightstand? Uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And then I just got a, um, a, another book, which is a fictional book too, just because okay. I'm starting to try to relax a little more. <laughs> Sci-fi. All right. Name one thing you think everyone should do at least once in their lives. Oh, man. That, I have a very slanted opinion. Immediately what came to mind is try weird food, but that's just a personal thing for me. I go out of my way to try some wild and crazy things. Um, I, you know, I, I collect novel experiences, I suppose. 
go out and try something you've never done before and try something that makes you uncomfortable. There you go. I love it. All right. So, you know, you're down in Tulsa, right? You had mentioned the, the seasons in Minnesota in the, at the start of our conversation. What season fits your personality? I, you know, I would have answered winter um, just six short months ago because uh, I, I felt probably a little more isolated, a little more like, cool, let's, let's, um, I, I didn't have a lot of energy, but mine very much now is uh, spring and spring because it is this amazing uh, transfer between the winter side of things where you probably are being cooped up a little more. And it is the first transition uh, to what summer will be. And you have the most gratitude for this transition. You're both thankful that you've had this, but also you're ready for this next one. I love that season. Love it. That's cool. I don't know if I've hit five or not, but I'm just going to keep going a little bit here. <laughs> That's four. Okay. Yep. All right. Would you rather be a star player on a losing team or ride the bench on a winning one? Oh, ride the bench on a winning one every single time. Surround yourself with people way smarter than you. Love it. All right. The last one, which piece are you when you play Monopoly? Oh, I'm the shoe for some dang reason. I don't know why. I've always been the shoe. Always the shoe? <laughs> always the shoe. Yeah, I used I'm, to be a boat for a little bit, but then I went shoe and I just didn't go back. Yeah, I'm, I'm the thimble. So again, who knows why, but if I'm not the thimble, I'm not, I'm not playing. That's so fantastic. All right, man. This was, this was awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to chat. And This was a blast. Thank you so much, Mike, for the opportunity. Sounds good, buddy. We need a happy hour for sure. Agreed. Agreed. I'll be up there. My mom still lives there. We'll grab a beer. Love it. All right, man. Hey, have a great day. See you, man. See you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Gratitude Spark Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and were able to pull out some tips and tricks that might help you dig deeper into your own practices of gratitude. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with others. Tell your friends about it. Post about us on your favorite social media platforms. And most importantly, click on the subscribe button and leave a rating and a review of the podcast. To catch all the latest from The Gratitude Spark, head on over to thegratitudespark.com to check out our other content. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Gratitude Spark and on Twitter at Gratitude underscore Spark. Also, please join our Facebook community called The Gratitude Spark for awesome conversations about gratitude and the role it can play in our lives. Thanks again, everybody. I'll see you next time.